Welcome to The Rebound, where we'll explore the issues facing supply chain managers as our industry gets back up and running in a post-COVID world. This podcast is hosted by Abe Eskenazi, CEO of the Association for Supply Chain Management, and Bob Troublecock, Editorial Director of Supply Chain Management Review. Remember that Abe and Bob welcome your comments. Now to today's episode. Welcome to today's episode of The Rebound, the future of retail fulfillment. I'm Bob Troublecock. And I'm Abe Ashkenazi. And joining us today is Craig Jones. Craig is a Senior VP of Global Logistics at Under Armour. Craig, welcome. Hi, guys. Nice to see you again. Nice to meet you again. Um, Looking forward to the conversation. Great. So are we. As if retailers and distributors like Under Armour didn't have enough on their plates already, the pandemic has changed the game for retail fulfillment. Of course, the shift from brick-and-mortar-focused supply chains to customer-focused supply chains has been underway for several years. But with the explosion in e-fulfillment during the shutdown, brands like Under Armour have had to put the pedal to the metal and accelerated changes maybe they already had planned. Today, Craig is going to share with us some of his experiences at Under Armour, an iconic athletic wear company, I'm wearing some now, over the last six months, and where he sees the industry going in the future. So let's get started. Craig, you and I had a chance to chat a few weeks ago, and it seems as if every retailer experienced a significant spike in e-commerce orders, which of course meant a significant spike in returns. Tell us what you experienced during the pandemic at Under Armour and how you got through it. Great question, Bob. Yeah, I mean, like most retailers, we we had a real quick pivot to online orders and it happened very much overnight. So if you think about planning for holiday now, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, all of those events, we started back in March and it really happened really quickly. Uh, it, it, it sort of happened, you know, instantaneously in the sense that, you know, people started to gain confidence with shopping online and quite quickly, you know, the only option to, to buy products at Under Armour was through the digital channel. So we pivoted very, very quickly. And of course, you know, with all online orders it became, you know, a, a huge uh, uh, influx of orders. Um, and then we had to quickly adapt our distribution network. And where stores closed, we adapted the stores to, to really, you know, drive that mini fulfillment opportunity that we had to service our customers. You know, the flip side of that was, uh, you know, a lot of returns, uh, no more than anybody else was experiencing. But you can imagine if you're if you're growing exponentially, managing that returns flow was was a big consideration that we need to needed to plan in as, as those sales volumes grew. Craig, it's really interesting because as we've looked at the landscape for years now, retailers have always talked about e-fulfillment as a loss leader as opposed to a, you know, a strategy, you know, a distribution strategy. That was something that you had to do, but it really wasn't as profitable as your stores because of final last mile delivery. As we sit here with COVID, has that changed the equation for you in terms of how you look at the distribution network of a you know, physical footprint versus e-commerce? And where does the balance strike you know, for Under Armour relative to the two distribution channels? And how do you service your customers who you know, want e-fulfillment, but also want cheap it? I want fast and I want it now. How do you service both? Yeah, Abe, that's a great question and something that Bob and I had a conversation about some some weeks ago. I think it's a bit of a myth, actually, and maybe I'm being controversial. Uh, We we always seem to think about e-com 
you know, as, as a very unprofitable channel. But actually, if you really look at the cost to serve, and what I mean by that is really look at the end to end from fulfilling an order in, in, a, in a transportation network that's well established. If you get that volumetric uh, order process right and you, and you drop into that, you, you can actually become quite profitable in the sense that if you benchmark that against traditional bricks and mortar, an e-com uh, channel doesn't carry those overheads, doesn't carry, you know, the, those extensive leases. And if you think about, you know, retail stores in, in, in big cities, highly populated areas, you know, it, it can become a challenge. And, uh, you, you know, back rooms of stores are getting smaller. Commercial spaces are getting bigger. The store becomes more of a service center, a place where you promote the brand, you show the product, its benefits, its features. So when you start adding, you know, the net net uh, cost uh, of all of that additional uh, management versus, you know, a very quick and easy streamlined parcel to to the end consumer, you, you can a- absolutely, you know, make it work I- in both dimensions. And, le- and let's be honest, you know, that this is a consumer driven supply chain now. Uh, whether you like it or not, whether you can find profitability or not, if you don't get on that train and you don't service that customer, then then you're you're gonna fall behind and you're not gonna be ready for those eventualities. And let's be honest, um, we hear about the Amazon effect. You can see what's going on now uh, in, in covert, where you know digital supply chains have adapted rapidly, and you know the consumers driving those expectations. So if I can get my my food same day next day from Whole Foods, or I can get my products from Amazon same day next day, then as a brand, you you have to compete somewhat to that. But I think what's really important in all of this, Abe, is is really, you know, understanding what the consumer's looking for, because it's not one size fits all. The consumer in New York City is probably wanting something very different to, to Baltimore. And they all have different requirements. Some want it delivered to their office space, some would like it at a, at a commercial drop-off location, maybe at the local Walmart store or the FedEx uh, pickup point. So there's a plethora of uh, options out there. But the point is, you know, the consumer's driving the fulfillment. And if you don't adapt to that quickly, then you'll fall behind. You, you've got to keep up and you've got to make changes quickly. So profitability and cost to serve can be made. You've just got to take that right decision making in your process and, and really Look at all options. One size does not fit all across across the U.S. That's for sure. Uh, Craig, it reminds me. One of the things that you had said to me uh, in our prior conversation was, you know, for retailers who have not figured this out, who have not adapted to this, you know, the end may be near. Maybe that was a controversial uh, statement as well. But talk a little bit uh, before I get to the economic times. Talk a little bit about that. How you see this retail landscape playing out. Yeah, look, I, I think it's very difficult for anyone to forecast what, you know, if I be more specific, you know, around this year end, this quarter that we're approaching, it, it's really difficult to understand how the consumer is going to behave. One thing we do know is that we don't have a vaccine. And with until we have a vaccine, that confidence in going into stores is still going to be, you know, top of mind for, for, for consumers. And even even with a vaccine or even without a vaccine, there is still restrictions with the amount of customers you can allow in your stores at any one time. So you've got to adapt and you've got to work around that. Um, and, and who knows you know, what's going to happen in the next months ahead. 
and we've learned a lot. A lot of retailers have learned a lot. So over the last six months, they've learned to adapt with regards how to social distance, how to maintain health and safety in the environment. And customers have also adapted really quickly. Um, and, and, you know, you've got to you've got to read those signals. You've got to listen to your consumer. And, you know, we're waking up in the morning and we're, you know, we're, we're looking at what's going on in the media. We're exploring what's going on out in the field. We're listening to our store managers. We're listening to our consumers and, and we're adapting accordingly. And you've got to have really it's really important. I want to emphasize this, you know, more than more than what I'm saying now is that that transparency in communication. Uh, internally as well as externally is key because the consumer wants to know what's going on, but also internally it's important to know, you know, what's going on and, and why you're pivoting in certain dimensions uh, with regards to the COVID. And and again, if you're not on top of it and you don't, you know, have those slim line communication channels so you can adapt and you can move quickly and also give people decision power that are in the field in the local distribution centers to act on that behavior that you will lose a lot of ground because it's a it's a real tough environment out there at the moment. But there is money available. Consumers have money. There is a pent up demand. And if you can drive service, if you can service the customer and read their requirements and offer a safe environment in a transparent way, that then then you can capitalize on this. You really can. Um, Craig, um, you talked a little bit about technology, obviously supporting a lot of the decisions that are being made. Organizations are um, assessing uh, robotics in their distribution centers, track and trace technologies, artificial intelligence for planning and forecasting. There's a lot on the table for a lot of organizations right now under the guise of digital transformation. And Under Armour, what are you guys, you know, what are you seeing as core to the investment on digital transformation, uh, not only today, but in the future? And, you know, where, you know, where is your investments right now in technology? Yeah, that, that's a, a great question, Abe. I mean, I mean, for us, not only us, but for, for a lot of retailers, I mean, having cash flow and, and CapEx is, is, is always something we look at, right? And that's not during COVID. I mean, everything that you invest has to have a return. We're obviously more prudent than ever. Any any investment you make, you need to really, you know, understand what that return will look like. And um, you know, there's a lot of companies out there, especially in the, in the world of distribution, uh, robotics specifically, that can can help fund some of those initiatives. Um, and we, we've been looking at some some areas, especially in the area of, of robotics. But data is is obviously king in all of this. I mean, we we have to get better with data. There, there is lakes of data out there. We have a lot of insights internally, externally with what's going on. You name it. We have every, every, everybody, you know, approaching Under Armour with, with data and, and, you know, whether that's uh, consultancies or whether that's, you know, companies that just, you know, run those data lakes and able to, you know, articulate information and, and directional pointers for us. But for us, we're trying to look at here and now in the sense that if you look at the landscape out there, Yes, unemployment is high at the moment, but you know if you start to look at the unemployment and then break that down into specific skill sets that we're looking for, if you think about distribution, if you think about that picking, that packing uh, process, we're in the playing field with the likes of Amazon, uh, Walmart, Target, you, you name it. Everybody's out for those resources more so now than ever. And I, and I don't see that going away. But the days when I started at distribution of, 
loading up a box and uh you know throwing it into a truck and then you know delivering it whenever the truck was full or it suits you without technology Th- those days have gone you know everything is visible it's all tracked and it needs to arrive in a in a timely manner so that skill set to manage these fully automated plants these production plants that are no longer you know goods in and goods out that requires a certain skill set so so that that is becoming more and more scarce and uh, you know the more we start to lift the lid and start to look at that there is opportunities you know to look at other other options and i think if you look at um you know some trends of of the uh, you know the automaton and and the, and the car industry there you've seen this certain task in a distribution center where you could maybe automate to some degree some of those so some of those manual tasks maybe that's areas like taking goods from the unloading to a pick location maybe that's taking it from a conveyor to a put wall station there there is some areas where building in some elements of robotics can can absolutely help you know, take away some of that manual task, but also most importantly, free up that competent teammate to maybe do other important tasks like inventory integrity and packing out more quality in in that last mile. Because let's be honest, the people that are meeting the customers now are generally supply chain teammates. They're not so much retail uh, shopkeepers. There are teammates, the driver's knocking on doors and they're delivering parcels. So when that parcel arrives, it's almost, you know, like a an aha moment of receiving a, gri- a gift uh, and it needs to be in a very, very good quality uh, way executed. Otherwise, you know, the damage to the brand and that customer experience is, you know, is tenfold, if you will. Now, Craig, I commend you for, you know, uh, identifying the, you know, the duality of not only technology, but the competency of the individuals necessary to execute on it. I think too often we see technology as a silver bullet without really understanding the competencies necessary to support and engage the individual. So I applaud you for that. Bob? Thanks, Abe. Uh, I've got one more question and then I'll let Abe uh, take you out on the last question. Um, Craig, one of the things I hear from uh, not just retailers, but everybody is, is saying that, you know, because of COVID, it's really accelerating plans that they might have had, you know, on their timeline for the next two or three years. They feel like they have to do it now. At the same time, capital expense uh, expenditure funds are limited. So one, are you experiencing that? And then two, you know, how do you invest? How do you leverage your partners to get those capabilities you need, but also uh, control your costs and deliver service? Yeah, some good questions, guys, you're giving me today. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, Bob, on that one, yeah, absolutely. And maybe, you know, just to build on what I said to Abe on the previous question, I mean, when you're spending money now, no matter what business you're in, you, you have to be prudent and you have to be conscious of what does that return look like. So that is like a fundamental that we have in place today. And I, and, I, and I don't speak for Under Armour. I'm sure a lot of big brands are also questioning that approach. You, you've got to be prudent, number one. I think number two is that the environment is so fluid at the moment. If you talk about forecasting, if you talk about where does that channel and where does that business look go and where does it look like in the next years to come, it's very, very difficult to nail it down. And years ago, you could maybe get your precision, your variability within a 0.1 of a percent, and you could be pretty spot on 
on, on SKU level, let alone on, on sales level. So, so that fluctuation and, and that uh, change in the business model is really difficult to sort of manage. And to build a, a, a warehouse today and invest in a distribution center, you can be writing checks for hundreds of millions of dollars for that level of automation. So what, we, what we've been looking at is where can we partner up with uh, third-party logistics companies? There's a lot of really good third-party logistics companies out there that are willing to invest and are, and are willing to drive technology forward. So we found that we're, we're looking at how do we want to collaborate in that space, you know, so that we, we develop third-party model with very clear service level agreements and, and very clear contractual requirements, but also leverage on, on that speed to market and that technology. And if there is a change in the market, if there is a fluctuation, then that third party can can look at alternatives within their portfolio to maybe offer some of that space in another building, uh, bring in a different commodity to offload some of that downtime. So we're trying to build you know, that partnership because ultimately at the end of the day, in the distribution space, we want to be competitive. We want to use distribution. We want to use logistics as a competitive advantage. And, you know, I just want to just build on what Abe concluded on the previous question. This is not about replacing people, replacing teammate. The most important commodity we've got at Under Armour is our people, is our team. If we can build in parallel a third party relationship, technology, uh, robotics and, and build that together in partnership with teammates that love the brand, that love the company. I mean, if you get that together and get it working well, uh, you can do a lot of things very, very quickly. Because ultimately, again, it's about protecting the brand. It's about delivering that service. And, you know, you can have the fanciest distribution center in the world. You can have the best technology in the world. But if you're not delivering to a customer promise, it doesn't matter. It's not going to work. Simple as that. Craig, very insightful. Last question for you. Um, you've learned a lot, uh, as we all have through this pandemic. What do you consider the most important lessons uh, at Under Armour, and how does that guide you and your supply chain team going forward? Yeah, th- thanks, Abe. I-, I mean, without a shadow of a doubt, transparency uh, and openness internally and externally is, is, is absolutely key. Uh, because that's where your vulnerabilities, your humbleness, you know, shines through. I mean, ultimately, we want to make sure our teammates are safe. We want to make sure that the environment is conducive, not only to them, but also to the family. And we take care of our business and, and we really hold that dearly to us. And we're not going to do anything that will put any anybody at risk. So, so for us, that transparency is really important so that we over communicate and we make sure that everybody knows wherever you are in the world, because let, let's be honest, this has been a global pandemic and we've, we've had puts and takes all over the world, no matter where you are, no matter what city you're in, everyone goes through a different, you know, sort of uh, evolution through, through this uh, drama that we've been facing. And then I think for us, it's been really about revisiting, you know, those business continuity, uh, because, you know, we, we build business continuity for force majeure, right? With regards to hurricane, when's the next flood? Is there going to be a building that, you know, the wall falls down? You know, all of that rudimentary stuff, we've always built plans. But how do you build a plan for a pandemic? Yes, we have a cyber attack, but a pandemic is very, very different. So we've learned a lot and we've listened and we've we, we've been working not only through our own organization, we've been supporting 
local government agencies and we've been really getting engaged with the community. And I think putting community, putting team first, that's been a, a good sort of mantra that we've been following and revisiting and, and walking through that uh, business continuity. Um, and we're sharing that with our third party companies, our logistics companies. We're, we're, we're trying to help each other. And um, that's been our sort of guiding star, you know, through this process. And, you know, I'm hoping we're, we're at the end of this and, you know, we're really hoping that, you know, the next couple of months ahead during flu season, we can we can march through this accordingly. And we and I hope everybody who's listening to this podcast also has the same success as, as what we're doing. I don't think anybody knows what's going to happen over the next couple of months ahead. But I think if we help each other out as an industry, if we talk to each other, support each other um, and, and take that opportunity to build support in the community, I think this is going to definitely help us get through this and make us stronger as an organization moving forward. Bob, you want to take us out? Yeah, thank you. Um, that's all the time we have today. Craig, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we hope everyone uh, who's listening will be back for our next episode. We look forward to hearing from you then. I'm Bob Troublecock. And I'm Abe Ashkenazi. Take care, everyone. The Rebound is a joint production of the Association for Supply Chain Management and Supply Chain Management Review. For more information, be sure to visit ASCM.org and STMR.com. We hope you'll join us again.